Well, anyway, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the, the, year, the year that was dot, dot, dot. I am your host, Aaron Maxson. I am along with my co-host right now, my brother, Nate. Hello. There he is. Um, hopefully, eventually, we're going to get a run-in from Archie Mitchell. I always, um, I always hope that when I say that, like people picture me like Robin Williams on Mrs. Doubtfire coming up from behind the fridge door with the with the pie face. Hello, <laughs> that's fun shit. It's a great movie. It was a run by fruiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am Job. <laughs> I am Job. I'm a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I always feel like uh, if I had to pick like a Robin Williams movie and I'm not even a, like not even picking Robin Williams in a like a character and I'm not gay either, but um, I always feel like I'm the fucking butler from the birdcage. Dinner is served. Yeah. The, like, I, I, um, nice fucking name. Agador, Ag Agador Spartacus. No, the real guy. Oh, He's Hank Azaria. Yeah, Hank Azaria. The Birdcage like... the bird, the bird is one of the best comedy films ever made. Yeah, I always feel like him when he has to wear shoes and answer the door and he <laughs> falls down. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I got to pretend to be something I'm not. <laughs> I feel like that in any time, like any type of work situation, like, God damn it. But anyway. Um, if y'all are not aware of what we're doing with this show, um, it is a breakdown of a calendar year of the major going on, going ons of professional wrestling, not the dirt sheets or the behind the scenes things, just what you're seeing on TV. Um, what we're doing is we're breaking down 1997, um, this week, we're going to discuss WCW Nitro and WWF Raw is War from May 30th, 1997. So if you want to um, go back and know what's going on week by week, stop listening. Go back to episode one on whatever podcast app you're listening on if you don't care and you want to join in that's cool too just continue listening i just don't want any kind of like spoilers or anything if you're somebody that hasn't watched a lot of old school wrestling or whatever does that make sense yes all right so um the last thing we obviously discussed was the raw and nitro from the week before um, so Nate, unless you have anything you want to hit on before we jump into these shows, we'll just move right into them. No, nope, we can go right into them. All right. Um, we're going to start with WCW Nitro from May 30th, 1997. They're in Las Vegas, Nevada at the MGM Grand. And, um, if you guys have been listening along, this is the Nitro that they've been hyping that the Impact player is going to debut. There's going to be a huge debut tonight, and they've been hyping it for like a month that this major player is going to going to debut tonight 
and they don't know if this person is going to be affiliated with WCW or the NWO. Nobody has any idea. That's the hook for this show. Um, the show kicks off with me and Gene Okerlund on the ramp, and he introduces Ric Flair. And Ric Flair comes out with two good-looking brunettes, and they bring out a mannequin dressed like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Because um, Flair and Piper started out being friends, and they've had some miscommunications and the sat and everything and um they're they're building up to um flair piper going into the big wcw pay-per-view um sorry give me a second but they're rolling into um flair and piper having these miscommunications in their fights with the nwo and Flair and Piper had a falling out, and then they're going to fight at Bash at the beach. Um, and Flair brings out um, these two broads, and they got this mannequin that's dressed like Piper. Um, it's wearing a kilt, and it's got like like a Scottish hat, like a golf hat. It looks like a, like a rerun Scottish hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And that's what it's wearing. And... Um, it's fucking, it's stupid. But Flair brings this mannequin out and, and he's like talking about it. And um, as he's talking about it, like he's smacking it around a little bit and the arms fall off. Like he's like, hey, Roddy. And like the fucking arm falls off. And um, he insinuates that the mannequin, the mannequin falling apart um, um, shows that it's a demonstration of the fact that Roddy Piper can't perform with women. So basically the mannequin falling apart is saying that, you know, you know Roddy's got a limp dick. That's what Roddy's impotent. Yes. Um, and then Flair says that Piper might be a Hollywood icon and that's fine, but that proves that he has no business telling Ric Flair how to wrestle or how to work any matches that he's in. He's basically implying that Piper um, shouldn't be telling him how to work their tag team matches because Piper's a Hollywood guy. You've gone away and I've been here. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and then uh, Gene tries to interview the, the, the bimbos and they have no idea what's going on. They're just like, hey, Rick, you, you. They, they, they have no fuck. I'm assuming they're probably just strippers that, yeah i was gonna say well look <clears throat> quote unquote local girls yeah like <laughs> like one of them like gene goes oh what do you think of piper and she's she almost starts putting piper over because she doesn't like she probably thinks that she's out there with piper <laughs> you know what i mean so gene like pulls the microwave mic microphone away from her and it it the segment's basically Rick trying to say that he's a better wrestler and more of a coxman than Roddy Piper. It, it just didn't work. And I, and I didn't even explain it well enough, but it, it's even hard to explain. It's just, it, it just didn't work. Well, I've said it on the show before. 
multiple times. As much as I like both guys, I never, for some reason, I can never get into Roddy Piper and Ric Flair feuding with each other. I like them when they're together. I never enjoyed it when they feuded against each other, ever. I just, well, other than um, when they were in uh, Mid-Atlantic, that was fun. But later in their career, nah. Um, but it was just kind of a mess, and I just, I didn't enjoy this segment, and it was a terrible way to open up the show. Um, then Mike Tanay, Larry Zabisco, and Tony Schiavone check in on commentary. Um, they mentioned that Chris Jericho um, has defeated six for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, it happened on Saturday night, not Saturday night, not TBS Saturday night, but at the Saturday night. Um, show they were trying to hype of talking about like, oh, you could listen to it on the internet yeah. in Los Angeles. So um, Jericho is now the cruiserweight champion and they're saying this is the first chink in the nail of the NWO because this guy got a major championship away from the NWO. Which the NWO until Scott Hall threw it in a trash can, never had the TV title. So maybe they should have been hyping their TV title a little bit more. But right. anyway. Um, and then they talk about Flair um, being ready for Piper at Bash at the Beach. Because they talk about that shitty segment at the beginning of it. And then our opening match is Hooventude Uvent Is it? I've always had a fucking... Hooventude Guerrero. Juventud Guerrero. I've always just called it an Uvi. But it's Uvi versus Chris Jericho. And Chris Jericho is having his first defense of the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, once again, they discussed Jericho defeating Six on WCW.com. Um, they talk more about the Impact player. Um these two are actually having a really good match. I'm not a huge Ubi fan, but I like watching Ubi versus Jericho. I think they're having a good match. Um, there's a small boring chant in the crowd from the crowd. Um, Ubi hits a 450, but Jericho kicks out. And then Ubi tries for a Frankensteiner, but Jericho turns it into a double power bomb, which gets a good reaction from the crowd. And then later on in the match, um, Uvi goes up to the top, but Jericho um, um, basically ladder climbs the, the ropes, punches him, and ends up getting a super Frankensteiner from the top rope, and then gets the lion tamer on Uvi, and Chris Jericho is still our cruiserweight champion. I always enjoyed watching Uvi wrestle Jericho. Um, and they, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say they had a really good chemistry in the ring. Um, they almost, almost were as good together as Jericho was with Ray Ray. Yeah, and um, I know there's a lot of hate thrown on the guy just because of the what he's doing now. Um, but Jericho was never bad. No, and, and I don't. I don't think even now he is. No, he's not bad now. He's just, I don't know. He's he's made a. I and you know how much of a Jericho fan I am, but to me, 
And I, I see what he's trying to do. And I get, again, this show isn't about the modern product. I see what he's trying yeah. to do. He's trying to be, he's trying to be the mega star for AEW. He's, he's, he is both helping them and using them is what he's doing. You know, Tony Khan's the money mark and Jericho's taking the money and he puts people over when he's asked to, but he also makes himself the center of a lot of it. But anyway, yes, but he's he's become he's become a parody of himself almost. Almost, but um it's not the same thing, but you know what I respect about the guy? It, it, it's not the same, but he's like he he's he takes the taker approach of it. Like I know this is what got over, but I gotta evolve this shit. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, and, and, and not even saying Taker, it's like Sean, like Sean did that too. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, I was a sex, I was a rocker, and then I was a sexy boy, and then I was this, and then I was that. You know, it's like you got to evolve your character. Same Triple H does the same fucking thing, right? You know what I mean, like don't don't just be the same fucking character because you got to evolve your shit. And but on I, the other, but on the other hand, the evolution has to work and Jericho's evolution at this point hasn't worked to me to me yeah. like when when it when he when that company first started whatever that role was that he had then I enjoyed it but now I don't know the Jericho Appreciation Society thing just doesn't appeal to me yeah, but anyway I'm still a, I'm still a fan I'm still a fan like, like I'm not one of those guys that's like well because this past year and a half have really stunk I'm just I'm I'm no longer you know, I'm I'm just gonna ignore the fact that he was ever one of my favorite wrestlers, or his politics. I don't give a shit about somebody's politics. If they entertain me, I don't care about their politics. Yeah, I don't pay attention. But anyway, I don't sorry. Watch, I don't know anything about politics. I didn't even know Jericho had political views. Um, Mean Gene after this match ends up inter interviewing Chris Jericho mid ring. And then six comes out and interrupts the interview. Um, six is doing the classic heel thing of saying that he didn't he didn't lose on Saturday in Los Angeles, and says um, Chris Jericho didn't beat anything Saturday night until he went to his hotel room later. That sounds like a Sean Waltman line. It was, and it made Jericho actually like Jericho actually smirked. Well, like he tried not to, but he smirked at it. And then he slaps Jericho, and they brawl, and the WCW crew has to pull them apart. Um, what I liked about this segment was that, um, for the first time since he came into WCW. Jericho's character actually looked like he had some balls. You know what I mean? Like when he mm-hmm. first got like, like I understand like he was laying, like I get that lay down in the crowd, let him pat. Yeah. And he's like, Hey baby. Yeah. You know, being happy, go lucky. And he was a Teddy long and everything like that. But that's fine. He was like a white me baby face, but this feud with six is the first time Jericho actually Kind kind is kind of getting to show some, you know. He's got an edge. Yeah, he's got a little bit of an edge. He's getting there. Um. So, unless you got anything else on that, nope. All right. Um. Then Alex Wright interrupts and says, "Um, WCW has held him down 
since he's handsome and German, and that Lex Luger has nothing on him. And um, Zabisco says, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, Alex Wright, like, walked out and he was, like, bitching. Like, he's like, he says that WCW holds, has held him down uh, since he's handsome and German. Like, I'm, I, I'm more handsome and better looking than anybody else here. And I'm German and that's why people hate me. And Lex Luger has nothing on him. And, um, Zabisco says Alex Wright can't even speak, so why does anybody even care about him? Like that's a segment on the show. <laughs> got to fill, got to fill some time. I guess they're stretching. Like that happened. But, I mean, I guess that was their way of trying to like push the um, Alex Wright heel turn, but that happened. Um, and then we move into something. That um, should have been better than it was, but they didn't give these guys a lot of time. It's Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero. And not saying it was bad, but it was these guys being on a Monday night show. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like what we watched on Reliving the Extreme from hostile city showdown you know what i mean it's like right these guys aren't getting 30 minutes they're getting nine they're getting getting nine with entrance you know what i mean but it's dean malenko versus eddie guerrero eddie guerrero attacks dean malenko um in the entrance um mike Tanay says that you're actually telling a pretty good story with eddie um the story they're telling is, you know, when Eddie got to WCW, he was kind of like we were talking about with Chris, where he was like a baby face, smacking hands with people, and, and hey, baby, that's, uh, like, mm-hmm. follow up, you know? And Tanae is being Tanae, and talking about, like, when I say Tanae was being Tanae, and you can tell me if I'm wrong with this, he was being the smartest guy to the business in the booth. You know what I mean? I, and I know Dusty and Larry are in there, but it's like, they don't know what's fucking going on in Mexico or on the indie scenes, you know? Right. Mike was super, Mike's super intelligent. And I think that dude should have a job now. And I don't know. I, I know he probably doesn't want to. Yeah. He's doing his thing in Vegas now. Yeah. Whatever he's doing with his fucking, sports betting or whatever, but they, like that dude, I don't think it's enough fucking being as intelligent as, but um, what he says is that um, basically he says, I tried to tell you guys behind the scenes that you don't know the Eddie Guerrero that I know. And now we're finally starting to see the real Eddie Guerrero. So the story he's telling is like Eddie down in Mexico, he was a piece of shit. Like he yeah. was a super heel. And um, that's what he's saying. Um, he even mentions Art Bar. Um, they mention um, Eddie costing Malenko the US title and the cruiserweight title. Because if you remember um, way back, um, Dean was fighting six for the cruiserweight championship, and they had that tug of war at Slamboree. And um, 
Eddie accidentally hit Dean with the belt. And then um, later on, Jer- uh, Eddie ends up helping um, Jarrett beat Malenko for the United States Championship. Um, and then Chavo comes out and distracts Malenko. Eddie bunts Malenko into Chavo and ends up hitting the frog splash for the So the story of this match is that um, Dean hates Eddie for costing me all these titles. And then Chavo comes out and he's trying to help Eddie and Eddie sees his nephew out there and he's like, fuck it. I'm going to sacrifice him, knock Dean into him so I can get the victory. So Eddie doesn't give a shit about anybody, even his friend Dean, because he screwed him over so many times, nor does he care about his. So Eddie wins that match. Good layered storytelling and character building. Yes. And it shows that WCW didn't necessarily need to completely lean on the NWO thing because there was actual good stories in it. So maybe the NWO didn't need to go for fucking four years or whatever. Anyway, um, anything else on that? Nope. All right. Mean Gene is now interviewing Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio says he's tired of Kevin Nash and the NWO fucking around with him. And he challenges Kevin Kevin Nash to a match tonight. Kevin Nash then comes out and accepts the match. Um, And that is that segment. Simple enough. (laughs) Simple enough. And then Eric Bischoff rides out on a motorcycle looking like a fucking moron. And then Hulk Hogan makes his entrance with the NWO title. Um, They cut the same old, same old Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan promo. Like, I put it in my notes. I probably shouldn't have. But you can tell me, Nate, if you want to answer this quick, this question, because we've been watching these promos back to back, back to back. Who is verbally filleting who more Vince and Sean or Bischoff and Hogan? I think uh, I would say, I would only say Bischoff and Hogan just because Bischoff and Hogan, because of the NWO story have more on screen time together. Like that, you know what I mean? Like, Vince might interview Sean once every couple of weeks. Whereas if Hogan's in the ring cutting a promo, Bischoff's right there with Hogan. So he's with it. So you're you're equal, but you're you're getting more from Bischoff and Hogan. Yeah, it's it's fucking annoying on both sides of it. Did you see that fucking thing Hogan was talking about that Lenny accused him of with Bruce Beefcake? Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. Do you know why I thought that was bullshit? Like, you know, like Hogan, you know, a lot of times Hogan says shit and you're like, I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. You know why? I I don't see Hogan blowing beefcake. I see see beefcake beefcake blowing Hogan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There's no way beefcake was like, There might have been some blowing going on, but Beefcake was blowing Hogan. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, 
they cut the same old, same old promo, and they talk about beating up the giant Lex Luger. And then um, Hogan mentions that Nash, Hall, and Savage um, will be facing Luger, Giant, and DDP tonight. He puts over his boys and says they're going to take care of his light work, which is Luger, Giant, and DDP. There's not a lot to the promo. It's just it got Hogan out there in front of fucking Vegas, and he made his money that night. Yep. The next match we get is for the WCW TV Championship, Um, and it's a match. I know you didn't watch it, but, I mean, you watched it at the time. You've probably watched it since, but you didn't watch it, like, you know, before before we did this. But it's a match that I was like, this will pique Nate's interest. It's Hector Garza versus Steve Regal. I like it. I like it. it. Is really good. I'm sure uh, it is, I, and I'm sure I'm sure every, anytime I've ever seen it, I've thought it was really good. Yes, it was very very good. Um, the way I know it was is because I don't have a lot of notes on it. Um, during the match, um, the commentating team um, apparently confirms that Hulk Hogan is going to replace Kevin Nash. In the six-man match. So now it'll be Hogan, Hall, and Savage versus Lex Luger, the Giant, and DDP. Um, Garza ends up going for his um, springboard. He ends up going for the springboard moonsault, but Regal gets his knees up and traps Garza in the STF, um, which they call the Regal Stretch in WCW. And he ends up tapping out Garza and he is still the champion. And I'm, I, I'm I'm currently watching um in my chronological watching things, I'm currently watching like early ninety-three, uh both WCW and WWF. And Regal just made his debut. It's funny that first week he comes in because they're kind of they're kind of pushing him as like a baby face, like a it's a yeah, little, they did that for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I mean he's got like I don't know. I don't know why it's funny, but he's got like this, like a taller bouffant, and he's got a windbreaker and stuff. He's got his blonde bouffant and a windbreaker. And he's like, "I'm William. Re- I'm, yeah, Stephen I'm Stephen Regal. I've been wrestling since I was 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's weird. Like I'm sure I watched it back then, and it didn't even register to me. But it's just weird to see him, you know, like with the windbreaker and the blonde bouffant. And the- yeah, <laughs> it's. His book's amazing. Yeah, I really like his book. But my favorite part of his book is when he first gets to America and starts working, and he's working for De- like like he starts he he starts with Bill, like he gets in there. Bill hired him. And but Bill Bill's gone like two weeks after he gets hired. Yeah, but Bill Bill's like, can you start like? Bill's like, can you start next week? And he's like, well, I got bookings for the next two months. And Bill was like, basically was like, oh, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. And put like $2,000 more on his contract, like on his on his like salary or whatever, because he respected that Regal was like, no. You know, because most guys were like, sure, it just fucked his bookings up, you know. And then he gets there and fucking Dusty's there and he's like, 
all right, you know, and Dusty's naked and he's just fucking Doug Dillinger and he's like, I'm like Whitney Houston. I got my own bodyguard. And Ariel's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then Dusty's like, go out there. Like, like Steve's like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, go out there and do that British shit. You got five minutes with entrances. <laughs> like reading his little two or three chapters of going from being in in the snake pit and catch to like trying to work the mirrors. It, it, it's a great read. I don't want to get too lost in that. But um the next thing is Mean Gene interviews the Steiner brothers. Um the Steiner brothers call out the they they call out Nash and Hall, but the entire NWO comes out and confronts the Steiner brothers. Um, Hall has a contract and tells them to sign it. They sign it without reading it, and before they, um, I don't want to say it. Like basically, they want the Steiner brothers want Hall and Nash because they want their tag team title back. All right, right. So then, um. Yeah, the entire NWO comes out. They confront the Steiner brothers. Hall has a contract for them to sign. The Stein, he's like, just sign it. The Steiner brothers don't give a shit, you know, because they're just like, give it to us. We want to fight you. They sign it, and they sign it before reading it. Um, but what the contract actually says, because the Steiners didn't read the fine print, is that before they can get the outsiders. Um, the Steiner brothers have to beat Chono and Muda. So that match will be coming up at the um, Bash at the Beach. Bash at the Beach. I said it like a like an Ohioan. Um, so that's how that went. I do actually like... I enjoy... Um, Nash and Hall versus the Steiner brothers. Like that whole feud. Yeah. I super enjoy it. And um, the reason I enjoy it so much is because it's kind of like um, what we've talked about um, not even on this show, but um, Sean's relationship with Sid. Mm-hmm. Like Sean could have buried Sid. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. They they the reason the feud was so good is because no matter how much Hall and Nash fucked with people, and they kind of decided whether they were gonna make somebody look good or not, since they were buddies with the Steiners and they were all so tight, they made the Steiners look like fucking gold. Yeah. The Steiners made them look good. Yeah. And it, it was kind of like shot like 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 I was like you were saying like Sean and Sid, like these were at least two guys in that company that they fucking loved. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It, it, it It's it's the same thing they did with Luger and Sting. Like, they liked Luger and Sting. You know, like, who's not going to like Sting? Like, like right. everything you ever hear about the guy, he was a fucking stand-up dude and mm-hmm. polite and respectful in the locker room, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know that, you know, that, you know, they got along with Luger because them and Luger were all three guys that were like, this is business. Yeah, you know, Lex Luger. Lex Luger was the first guy to show up with an agent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like Nash talked about Luger, and he was like, Nash was like, 
in a, in a shoot interview I heard, I read with him, he was like, I didn't think I was going to like that. Like when he showed up, he's like, I'm not going to like this guy. Like when they met mm-hmm. and then he was like, they rode together and Luger like nice clothes and listen to R and B. And he's like, this guy likes R and B. He's like, listen to like Keith sweat and shit. Like what the fuck? Like, yeah, he's pretty decent, you know. Like, if you just talk to him, he's cool, you know. And 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 like I said, that's why I think like I really enjoy their feud because Nash and Hall could have really because let's say what we want to say about Rick and Scott. Rick's one of my favorite wrestlers, but if Hall and Nash wanted to verbally destroy two guys, oh yeah. Promo wise, they could have fucking left those guys out fucking heap. Absolutely, but they fucking respected them. Also knew if we don't, if we do fuck with them, we might be able to do it verbally. But if we, if we fuck with them in the ring, they're gonna fucking break our goddamn neck. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which they wouldn't have had to do. But anyway. Um, anything on that going forward? Nope. All right. Um, we're moving in the second hour of Nitro, and those always clip along pretty good. Um, the next match is Psychosis with Sonny Ono, um, versus Super Kalo. Um, Psychosis is dressed like the Seinfeld cookie, like he's got like a black and white outfit on. Um, they're going back and forth. Um, Sonny Ono ends up tripping up Super Kalo, allowing Psychosis to get the victory. And then post-match, um, Super Kalo attacks Sonny Ono and La Parka attacks um, Super Kalo. And then Ubi comes out and helps Super Kalo. So they're doing a little lucha angle here and... Sonny Ono is now the manager of Psychosis and Lapart. The Luchadors. Have, I always liked it. I, I would like it when the Luchadors have their own thing going on. Yeah. They're just out there bumbling around and doing their thing. <laughs> so now we kick off hour number two, which brings out Bobby, which is always good. Um, the first match of hour two is Buff Bagwell, Scott Flash Norton, and Chono. Versus Ric Flair, Mongo McMichael, and Chris Benoit with Deborah. Um, during the match, um, Jarrett versus Mongo is announced for Bash at the Beach. Which, Jesus Christ. It's like, it's the pork chop. What's that fucking, what's that little Muppet thing? Isn't it pork chop? This is a song that will never end. It goes on and on my phone. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. That's a fucking, it's the pork chop song of fucking wrestling. It's this goddamn Jarrett Mongo feud. Um, Virgil ends up getting involved for some reason. Like he pops up, like he didn't come out with them, but then he just pops up and he gets involved for some reason. And the horsemen um, end up winning by DQ. It's fucking stupid. Like, I don't even know why this is on it. Um, then we get a hype video 
for Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan, which will be at Bash at the Beach. Um, and it's going to be a career versus career match, or a, yeah, a career versus career match. So the loser has to leave WCW. Um, then we get Mortis and Wrath with James Vandenberg versus High Voltage, um, Glacier and Ernest Miller. Um, they distract Wrath and Mortis and that match, and High Voltage ends up winning. Why did they put that on Nitro? Oh, fuck. But, <laughs> I, I think at this point, at this point, they think they've got the ratings. They're, they're going to put Vince out of it, but, you know, they're not, they're not trying as hard. They're not trying as hard. No, it's, it's ignorance is what it is. Um, and then a white limo ends up arriving and a person is inside the limo. Obviously, they not even just a person driving. There's somebody in the back of it. We don't have fucking Teslas yet. Um, but then the person inside the limo goes to open the door, sees that there's a camera there, and ends up shutting the door and asking the driver to drive away. Like he went, he, oh, I'm gonna get out, sees the camera, I don't want to be seen. So then he drives away. For those of you that were not alive or <laughs> watching wrestling at this time, if you're listening to the show, the limo slash Hummer scenario was one of WCW's most played out. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they fucking jacked off to that shit. They were like, oh, every, like, they Who's in the Hummer? Who's in the Hummer? Who's in the and, limo? And, and everybody showed up in a limo. And they all and had tinted windows. Were, they love tinted windows. And then in um, the late 80s and early 90s, at least on pay-per-view and Clash of the Champions, at least two people would be in a tuxedo for no reason. <laughs> like there's a Four Horsemen promo where Ric Flair's just wearing a suit. But Sid's in a tuxedo. Sid's in a tuxedo, yeah. Why is he in a tuxedo? <laughs> like, Doom shows up, and they're, just in a tux they're both in tuxedos. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why is Ronnie Garvin wearing a tuxedo? What's happening? Like, I was just watching, like, I was bored and just put some shit on and took a nap, you know? And I woke up, and it was like a WCW, like, 1999 pay-per-view and a limo pulled up, and guess who was the, guess who got out of the limo? Goldberg, the guy who should show, the guy who should show up in a street rod or on a motorcycle, yeah, or a truck or something. Right. But yeah, Goldberg's here now. He's in a fucking limo. Anyway, they love their fucking limos and tuxedos and Hummers and Hummers. Yeah, <laughs> like we just described, Ric Flair. He should be the one doing all of those right. and giving one. But anyway. Um, so the limo drives away and then we get a 1-800 collect report from Lee Marshall, who's in Memphis. And he's saying, oh, we're going to be in Memphis next week. And he says some stupid shit about Bobby and Bobby's like, fuck that guy. What did I ever do to him? Um, and then it's going to get a little interesting because guess what we get after that? 
we get the first appearance in WCW of the Raven. Raven is at ringside, and the commentary team is surprised that Raven is out in the crowd. They're shooting him like with the camera, and they wonder if he is, in fact, the impact player. Um, I we're, we're talking about it on, on RTE now, and I love it. But 97 WCW Raven was some of the best shit that was going on at that time in that company. And we're, we're right at the beginning of it. So it's kind of it's kind of a cool thing to see Levy here now, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So it, to me, this is the most um, newsworthy thing of this entire show. So Ravens and WCW sort of the story they're trying to say is that Raven is not necessarily signed to WCW, but he showed up. Um, you got anything on that? Nope. All right. The next thing we get is um, Conan versus Jeff Jarrett for the United States Championship. Hard uh, pass. Huh? I said hard pass. Yeah. (laughs) You'll see my second note. Um, During the match, um, Tony mentions Jared is saying he's going to um, confront the horseman because uh, supposedly he's on probation. Um, I have some some brackets around this and it says this prick was never a horseman. Um, and then I said, this match is fucking boring. And then the horsemen come out and distract Conan, allowing Jarrett, um, to, to get the figure four and sorry, the horsemen come out and distract Conan, allowing Jarrett to get the figure four. And then Jarrett ends up, Retaining his U.S. This match sucked. And 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 I want to clarify for everybody when I say hard pass, because Aaron Aaron is pretty staunch about the fact that he's not a big Jeff. I am a Jeff Jarrett fan, but I am not a Jeff Jarrett in WCW fan. Like, I, I am... Yeah, let me, let me clarify that. I am a fan of Jeff Jarrett in the WWF. I'm a fan of Double J. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, 94, 95, Jeff Jarrett, country guy, you know, fan of that. And I'm a fan of and I'm a fan of him with Owen and Deborah. Anything else he did? And Conan, I will watch Conan cut a promo. Yeah. Or be a manager all fucking day. But if you want me to watch him wrestle. Yeah, I agree. Anything else on that? Nope. All right. Post-match after that, the Horsemen, Flair, Benoit, and Mongo, um, they show their support to Jarrett. um, But Jarrett says Mongo, Anderson, and Benoit have one thing in common, that he's beat them all. It's actually a pretty good line. Um, And then he puts over Ric Flair... Flair puts over Jarrett's ability and says he's um, 
basically Jarrett is putting down all the other horsemen and flares kind of stand there watching it, you know, and once he puts them down, flares just like, all right, you know, like you just put down my boys, you know what I mean? And, um, Flair says that like he puts over Jarrett's, he says Jarrett has great ability, but then says that he's no longer a horseman. And then he says, tell your story walking, Alan Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says that he'll take Flair out and Flair gives him his last fate. Like he says, tell your story walking, Alan Jackson. And then Jarrett tries to tell him like to fuck off basically. And then Flair says, I'm going to give you your last favor. You can just leave. And Flair backs off the other horseman and just lets Jarrett leave. Other than the tell your story, walking Alan Jackson line. There's really nothing to this. It's just Flair. Basically. Flair's character is basically saying that this was a fucking Mistake. Mistake. Yeah, we don't want you to get out of here. You're not even worth beating up. Which is actually pretty funny. Um, and then we get a rehab a rehab, a recap of the history between Rey Mysterio Jr. and Kevin Nash, which goes to all the way back to um ninety-six when they lawn darted him into the fucking um production truck. Which is one of the greatest segments in the history of prof- that's one of the I know you're not a huge WCW fan or whatever. That's one of the greatest segments in the history of wrestling. Is that oh, yeah. side of fucking Disney or whatever it mm-hmm. was with fucking Arn getting laid out and Bagwell getting laid like that that was that was some cool shit. Yes. Fucking Ray getting fucking pinged off the fucking side of that um, production truck or whatever. Like, that's good shit. And they go all the way back to that. Um, so we're building up to um, the first actual one-on-one match between Kevin Nash and Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, they both come out. Rey Mysterio bum rushes Nash quick with some top rope drop kicks and a springboard super kick. Um and Nash actually bumps like crazy. Um, like he's getting kicked and Nash is like flipping around and everything. And then, then I have in parentheses, Nash can't work, right? I was being sarcastic when I was right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was I was a little drunk when I was right. I was like, oh, Kevin Nash can't work, right? Look at this shit. <laughs> like when he wants to, that fucking dude could perform. Um, I will give you... Quickly, I'll give you two examples for anybody that wants to watch or see that Kevin Nash can work. And I'm not even going to say a match with his buddy Shawn Michaels, because obviously that would be saying, well, his buddy Shawn Michaels carried him. You watch any of the three matches that Kevin Nash had with Bret Hart in 1995, the Royal Rumble, the King of the Ring, and the Survivor Series. And you watch any of the matches he had with Rey Mysterio. And that's end of story. Yeah. Because those, those in my brain are his best matches. Those are my favorite Kevin Nash matches. Yeah. And, matches, and, matches with Brett and his matches with Ray. Yeah. And, and you 
I know you didn't want to be like, oh, because of Sean, but their match at uh, fucking 11 is great. Yes, and their match when Kevin is about to leave at that In Your House is better. Good friends, better enemies, yeah. Yes. So, fuck anybody that says Kevin Nash can't work. I'm not saying he's fucking Dolph Ziggler. Right. That fucking dude can work when he wants to. Um, um, But he does all that shit. Nash bumps like crazy for Nash. Um, There's a big kick out from Nash. Um, Who ends up shutting down Ray quickly. Um, uh, Nash ends up bealing Ray Mysterio off, and it's a big deal. And he ends up getting a jackknife on Mysterio, pins him one, two, three. Um, your winner, Kevin Nash. And then post match, Kevin Nash repeatedly gives Ray the power bomb. Um, and then Conan comes out to stop Nash, but then as Nash backs off, Conan ends up attacking Rey Mysterio instead. And um, storyline-wise, snaps Rey Mysterio's knee with the Tequila Sunrise. And Nash seems like, oh, shit, what was that? So that was the story of the match. Um, and this is going to lead into a lot of things. And we'll... we'll touch upon it later but this is setting up um an actual pretty good fucking story arc that wasn't just match 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 like they um i don't even know if we get it over i don't even know if we get through it in 97 i think it went from 97 to 98 with national with nash and mysterio possibly i can't remember off the top of my head but we'll find out. But it, it it's a good, a good story arc that they're doing, and I really enjoyed it. And the and the fans fucking ate it up with him, with Ray like bumping him around, and Nash kind of have to like get shitty to like knock this little guy down, you know? Yeah, it's good shit. Like this is this is what I'm trying to say. Like with WCW, like. People remember the stupid shit like the finger poke, dungeon of doom, and that shit. But this type of stuff gets like lost because of the narrative the WWE wants to give now. Mm-hmm. Like this shit in '97, I was watching this. I was like, "Holy shit! Look at this!" Like there was actually really good shit. Yeah. In- really good shit and i just think it gets blossed. it does the winner because, the win, the winner gets to tell the story yeah, i know but the it this was good stuff um do you got anything you want to say on that nope i said what i needed to say okay um i think we have one more segment and then if you don't mind we'll take a break mm-hmm. okay i might smoke a cigarette and take a leak um Mike Tanay tries to interview Raven, but Raven refuses to speak. And then we roll into our main event, which is stupid because they, they said Hulk Hogan, they, they, they mentioned that Hulk Hogan was going to replace Kevin Nash, but then guess what? He doesn't appear. He doesn't. 
is Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Randy Savage versus Diamond Dallas Page, Lex Luger, and the Giant. Um, my first note is that I am assuming that this was a house show match they've been working out because you know these six guys are probably the the main event guys that are working the house shows there's no way right. doing fucking house shows no. um, the WCW team is taking their time getting to the ring um just everyone um they all get in the ring and they they start brawling um then Hulk Hogan shows up. Sorry, I miss I misspoke. Sorry, the WCW time is taking their way to get into the ring. Um, um, a big brawl starts. Hogan's out, and he ends up taking out um, Lex Luger and Giant with his title. Um, the NWO starts beating down DDP. So basically, what happened was they um, um, tried to. Um, wrote people into thinking that Hogan was going to be in this, and then Nash comes out, da 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 da, and Hogan ends up attacking. So basically, the entire NWO ends up um, glomming down on the WCW faces, and it turns into a big clusterfuck. Um, and we get no, we get no, um, no winner or loser. It's the NWO beating down WCW. Then a fake sting appears. But then the, re- the real like fake sting comes out. Okay, fake sting, da-da-da-da-da, which we're used to. But then the real sting drops from the ceiling. Um, this freaks out the entire NWO. So they're backing off. Fake stings in the ring, surrounded by the WCW guys. Mm-hmm. They're getting up. And then, guess who comes out from the entrance? Do you remember? I'm is, at, it I'm, Kurt, is it Kurt Hennig? Yes. It's Kurt Hennig in his um, blue sports jacket and pink shirt. He comes out, and they all start freaking out. Like, it's Kurt Hennig! And he's coming out. And then Raven ends up jumping over the railing. And he's looking around, so... Fucking stings in the ring. Kurt Hennig's coming out. Raven jumps over the railing and is looking at everything. And um, Shivani's basically screaming, who's the impact player? Because none of these guys sting. Technically, sting isn't with WCW or the NWO because he hasn't, like, you know, his allegiance. Hennig, he's new to the scene. Rave is new to the scene and WCW ends with which one of these guys is the impact player. And honestly, it wasn't a bad hook. It was a good hook. And we are going to get into it later. We're not going to talk about it now. Um, We'll get into it later in the year when you get to these, to the part of 97. Great start for Kurt Henning. And later on in the year, they're going to totally fuck it up. But anyway, they'll fuck up Sting too. But yeah, at this point, at this point in time, on May thirtieth, nineteen ninety-seven, all the cards. Yes, it's actually not a bad fucking night. Like 
me reading through it, I don't think I did it justice. I don't think I do it justice any week when I read these shows. But I think this was actually a a pretty decent fucking show, in my opinion. I agree. I mean, there was there was some filler in it, but it all told a decent story. It gave a good story to the fucking NWO WCW stuff. It gave a good um, story to like Jarrett with the with the Horsemen, everything. I I I just I loved the Nash Rey Mysterio shit. I, I, this was a good show. Like if I would have been in that crowd and I went home and be like, yeah, that was pretty fucking decent. In my opinion. Like I said, I agree. All right. All right. So Nitro has ended. And if you watched it live, you are now um, putting your VHS tape into your VHS player to watch WWF Monday Night Raw is War. Um, if you're me or Nate, we, we, it was reversed. Like we were watching Raw, and we watched. That was probably more my choice. Yeah, I mean, and you know, your old VHS. I just, uh, I was just going through. uh, We recently, well, not recently, over a year ago, we moved, and I'm still going through boxes and totes and shit, and with my collection and all that. And I, I pulled out a uh, a recording of my graduation ceremony. And it's on VHS. So you know you're old when your graduation was on VHS. My son's, it was on YouTube. (laughs) But anyway. My graduation ceremony wasn't on VHS or anything. But it was just my family at it. Because I had to take four and a half years of high school. Because I didn't, um, I don't want to say it. I didn't try. <laughs> I didn't um, imply myself. That's what I wanted to say. Um, so I didn't really have a. I didn't really have a graduation. I had a like you. You you got out of here by the skin of your teeth. Good job. And then my <laughs> principal was like, "Glad you didn't drop out. Glad you made it halfway through. Like, cool, man." And he's like, come back and see me anytime. And I said, I'm never going to come back in this building again in the rest of my life. <laughs> Fucking terrible. But anyway, you, I sucked at high school. That's what I'm saying. Um, but we're going to get into Raw's War from May 30th, 1997. We're in Des Moines. Is it Des Moines or Des Moines? Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines. The S is silent. Then it shouldn't even fucking be there. He's French. He's pretentious. Yes. I heard a guy today at work say Lima seven times. And it took everything I had in my body to be like, no. Lima's in Peru. He said Lima seven times and I just let it go. But we're in Des Moines, Iowa um, for Rolla's War. Um, We get a recap of the Undertaker Paul Bearer saga. Um, and then Paul Bear says that he will release um, the secret tonight since the Undertaker um, would not play ball last week when that tag team match with Vader, nor is Undertaker listening to Paul Bear's um, instructions anymore. 
Um, so it's more of the Paul Bearer, Undertaker, Kane saga, and it's good shit. Um, it's, I don't know what a lot of Bruce Pritchard's ideas were, because I don't listen to Bruce Pritchard's podcast or anything like that, but I know this was a Bruce Pritchard idea, and because people that aren't Bruce Pritchard have said it was his idea, and this is probably the best thing that he contributed to the WWF. I mean, I'm not knocking the guy, you know what I mean? But this is his angle, and it's fucking great. Seed of the story was his, yes, and and until until probably until probably when when in and it will get into it at some point sometime down the line on a show but until probably into late 98 when they have undertaker and kane become like partners or whatever like you know the shit where they they beat up vince or broke his leg or whatever Anyway, beside the point, uh, Pritchard's seed for an idea, and it's also probably the most fleshed out, well-written story that Rousseau wrote until, of course, he took it and made it stupid. Yeah. You know, The Undertaker actually burnt down the fucking head. I don't know. It just, it got stupid later, but for at least a year, year and a half, great story. Yes, I agree. Um, hold on, I've lost something here. Sorry, give me a minute. All right, I'm back. Um, so Paul Bear, like I said, they're they're doing the recapping of that, and Paul Bear says he's going to spill the beans now. And then, um, the opening match is Ken Shamrock versus uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley with China. Um. During the match, the commentators discuss Ken Shamrock's tough upbringing and training in the MMA. Um, Triple H bumps outside for Shamrock. Um, and then during the match, um, while they're on the outside, um, China slams Ken Shamrock into the steps. Um, the reason I wrote that down is because I like shitting on this guy that I'm going to bring up is Ahmed Johnson. I love shitting on that guy because he was a piece of shit. And it's like, this is the guy that said, I ain't going to bump for no bitch. And wouldn't put China over. But here is a UFC champion that I know he didn't, she didn't body slam him or whatever, but he was willing to put over this chick and knock me down. At least mm-hmm. for a minute, you know? Yeah. Like, at least you can blindside me and knock me in the steps. But fucking Ahmed's not fucking man enough to fucking... Anyway. Um, and then Mankind comes out and distracts Triple H, um, allowing Ken Shamrock to get a belly-to-belly on Triple H. It's not Triple H. And um, Pins Hunter 1, 2, 3... And the commentating team mentions that we get um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Mankind at the upcoming Canadian Stampede. So it was what it was. It was a okay, o- decent opening match. And um, whoever's putting the matches together, which I'm assuming is Pat Patterson, just saying, it's probably Pat and Bruce and Cornette at this point, right? Yeah. 
they're smart enough that if and, and I've I've mentioned it a couple times and I might be beating a dead horse, but Shamrock at this point was going to be their guy, and um, or one of their guys. And if you notice what they're doing with Ken is they're putting him with Hunter, they're putting him with Billy, they're putting him with Vader. Right. You know, I mean, they're they're putting him with guys that they know are good enough in the fucking ring to get something out of him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like they're super protecting Shamrock right now. Definitely, it's very limited, and has no fucking idea what's. And I'm not even knocking him. Like he's learning mm-hmm. professional. He's learning. Not professional wrestling because he was a professional wrestler in the even in the in in the late eighties, but he's learning the WWF style with these guys, and and, mm. and they know what they're doing with them. So it's just really smart, in my opinion. I agree. Um, then Jim Ross, Vince McMahon, and Jerry Lawler check in on play by play. Um, they recap. Um, Ahmed Johnson joining the end, joining the nation of domination and then immediately getting hurt 27 seconds later. Cause he's a fucking dipshit. Um, like he got hurt in a brawl. Like, how do you get hurt? It's like getting hurt in a fucking battle Royal. Like how do you fucking pull that off? But anyway, um, and then kind of talking about, it's not the same thing, but talking about Raven. All right. Raven, right? Getting um, debuting over in WCW. Um, guess whose debut on Raw is next? Is it Rob Van Dam? Nope, it's not even a wrestler. Oh, it's Michael Cole. Oh, all right, Michael Cole. We get, we get the debut of Michael Cole, and he is interviewing the Legion of Doom, and they um, they're getting ready to go into their next tournament match with the nation of domination, which it was supposed to be uh, Farouk and Ahmed, but it's going to be Farouk and D'Lo. But Michael Cole makes his debut and he looks awkward and confused, but um, eventually becomes a guy that I think gets shit on too much. Oh, for sure. But we'll get there eventually, but it's the debut of Michael Cole. Um, and then after that, Michael Cole interviewing the Legion of Doom, we get Sonny Shone hyping the um, SummerSlam million dollar scam. Nobody's going to win that fucking thing. <laughs> if people don't understand what they were doing, was they wanted people to um, basically, what the million dollar challenge or whatever was, was they wanted people to send in postcards, letters, whatever, to the WWF. And what they were doing was collecting addresses. That's exactly what they did when they did the Hulk Hogan earthquake deal. Yes. And at this point, too, this is 97. So the other thing they were doing, which was still um, in its infancy, was... You could also email 
and basically they're collecting addresses so they can get people's information to send them catalogs. That's all yep. they were doing. Pretty much. And, and then they were like, eh, maybe one of these shit kickers will pick the right key. <laughs> we don't fucking hopefully not. But basically they were they were they were fishing people and that's what they were doing. Um which nothing wrong with that is what it is. Um so anything on WWF stealing people's addresses and my no. debut? No. Okay. No. All right. We move into oh, I have a question. I, I was gonna ask a couple of you guys, but there's only one of you. But um we're moving into the tag another match in the tag team tournament. Um it's the Legion of Doom versus the Nation of Domination. Like I said, it was supposed to be Ahmed and Farouk, but Ahmed hurt. So it's D'Lo. Um, the Godwins, they come out and watch the match. Um, LOD gets the Doomsday device on D'Lo, but the Godwins, they, um, the Godwins um, behind the referees back end up hitting um, LOD with their, with their slot buckets. And Farouk covers Hawk, and the winners of the match are the Nation of Domination. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've moved Nod on in the tournament, and we've um, um, escalated the Lod Godwin feud. The question I had, and you can just say either promotion or if you want to elaborate on it more, that's fine. I don't know if I've ever asked you on this or not. Animal and Hawk. Okay. Are they WWF guys or are they NWA guys? No, they're NWA guys. Um, As crazy as it sounds, because normally with big monster jacked up monster wrestlers, Vince McMahon was aces. They, uh, the Road Warriors just never worked in the WWF like they did. Never. Absolutely never. I feel the same way. Um, they just didn't have the... And I don't know if it's because they, they were... were too mean. And, and, they, and, and to a certain extent, they were also giants in a land of giants. You know? Um, and then by the time we get to 97... They're just used, and it's it's kind of a victim of the booking, the way the booking became. But they're just used as just another tag team. Yeah, they aren't special. Yeah, like like here they're feuding with, and I'm not even gonna knock these guys, but they're they're fucking feuding with the Godwins. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. But like to me, when they were in the WWF, they were just too clean. If that makes sense, I agree. Like in the NWA, they were fucking gritty and. Dirty and fucking Hawk had the fucking like my favorite thing that he would do. My favorite thing the Hawk did was when he'd have the fucking dog collar around his neck and then just pop it with his neck, pop it right off. It's like Jesus Christ, this is these fuckers are intimidating, mm-hmm. and, and they still were in the WWF, but it was just different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, it. I think it was a combination of both the booking and. And I know we're not talking about 90 when they came in, but also when they came in initially in 90, 
They just you're you're giants in a land of giants. You're not you're not the big fish in a you're not. And I'm not criticizing the NWA in any way, shape, or form. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. It they does. just you know it, in the this this might be a dumb statement. I don't know, but they were um they were the Andre the Giant of the NWA. For their era, yeah, you know what I mean. Like they were, the, they were the fucking attraction. Like Andre didn't have music, but he when he walked out, everybody was like, "Whoa, look at that!" But but before when when Ella would, when when the roadies would come out, it was like boom, and like Iron Man would play, and everybody's like, "Oh, the shit's about to go down. Nobody can beat right. these motherfuckers." Like anyway, I agree. All right, so. Nation of Domination advance. Um, then Vince McMahon interviews Farouk, who is upset that Vader has been given. Um, this is something else that doesn't happen in wrestling anymore. Um, this is how we find out that um, Vader is getting the number one contendership at the next pay-per-view. Not through an angle, it is through contention. Um, Vince interviews Farouk. Who is upset that Vader's given um, the title shot against the Undertaker at the upcoming in your house Canadian Stampede instead of any of the nation any of the nation of domination? And then um Farouk questions Vince about is is it the fact that um, the nation of domination members are black and Vader is white, and Vince says it has nothing to do with it. And then Savio comes out and says um, that he has his friends, and those are the Los Periquas, obviously. So the Los Periquas have debuted, and they start brawling with um, um, the Nation of Domination, and then out comes the DOA on their bikes, and it turns into a full-scale... Riot war, and this is all boring. It is as much as I like a lot of the people involved. The gang wars thing with these three factions is boring, and obviously, I wasn't um, there when they were deciding or booking the angles or whatever. But I think this was Vince Russo's first angle on his own and you know why i think it was because it's shit and all over the place nope i think it's because it was there was race involved in it yeah that could be too like he's like bro we got the black guys we got the puerto rican guys we got the white guys and part of the reason i think it is is because vince russo's a lazy booker so he's like, ah, the, the the white people cheer for the white guy, the black guys will cheer for the black guys, you know, and um, um, he wanted um, he wanted Farouk and Bradshaw to be like a race thing after he got involved in it, and he they were like not doing that shit, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's just what I think. Um, but this all happens, and it's boring. Um, it's going to kick off a little bit later on, but at the start of it, like, it was cool because I like Farouk. 
I like Savio. I like Crush. Um, Brian Adams is in there. I like him. You know, like there's there's talent involved in it, but it's just like yeah, that's why I said I like I like a lot of the talent involved, but none of this ever appealed to me ever. Yeah. Um, then after all that happens, Michael Cole ends up interviewing the Bariquas after that, and they're just all upset about the um just the whole fucking brawl situation. Um, sorry, and then we get a. WWF Raw magazine ad showing um, supposed candid photos of Sonny and Brian Pillman together. Like like how Us Weekly or fucking what other, what other fucking magazines are back in the fucking 90s. Fucking no. Me neither. Fucking Inquirer or whatever. Basically, it was these it was a raw magazine trying to be like fucking people magazine showing Sonny and Brian Pillman fucking on a beach. Are these two together? We don't know. If they did, I'm sure they're babies in jail by now. That <laughs> didn't make it. Like, I'm sure it lived, but I'm just saying it's you're probably seeing a snapped or a dateline about it now. Um, then we roll into the next match, um, and it is um, Brian Christopher versus Scott Putzke. Um, they show archived footage of Scott Putzke's dad, which his name is what, Nate? Ivan Putzke. Well, no. On our show, what is his name? No, Ivan Pussy. Ivan Pussy. We got archived <laughs> footage of Ivan Pussy. I wrote that down. I'll, I'll leave it alone then, but I did write Ivan Pussy down. Um, <laughs> I lost my place when I thought of Ivan Pussy. <laughs> um, but the match is going back and forth. Um, it, it's not a bad match. Um, but during the commentary, uh, Vince and um, Ross are fucking with Lawler on commentary about whether or not he's Brian Christopher's dad, because Lawler doesn't want to admit that he's Brian Christopher's dad. Um, Pussy hits a big splash on Brian Christopher, which brings in Lawler. Um, Lawler and Christopher um, end up getting um, um, knocked out by uh, Pussy. Pussy goes for a power slam. The match goes back and forth some more. Lawler ends up tripping up Putzky, and Christopher gets the one, two, three. Brian Christopher's your winner. And um, Christopher and Lawler then hit a spike pile driver. And then Lawler says, um, Jerry Lawler gets on the, after they spike pile drive him. Jerry Lawler says the only thing, the only good thing from Poland was an empty. <laughs> the only good thing that ever came from Poland was an empty boat. And then he um, slaps Pusky and calls him a dumb Poland. And that's a sign of the times. That's 97. Y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So anything on Scott, the, the Scott Putsky Lawler family feud. 
I enjoy it, and I also enjoy the shit out of it. And and I and I know I know uh, you know from back in the day, I was actually a fan of Scott Putzky. I liked him. I thought I thought he had a good look. I thought that for his for his build, he moved well. You know, he didn't. He wasn't a schlub. He was good. And and, and he just he's one of those guys that I look back like Hector Garza that I don't think ever realized his potential. Yeah, he got hurt, and it's going to happen a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, you know, you never hear me say a bad word about Scott Putzky. I like Scott Putzky. And there's nothing wrong with Brian Christopher either. Oh, yeah. Brian Christopher was fantastic, too. And then the fucking Lawler's a fucking master. You know what I mean? And Ivan was Ivan. Ivan isn't... I mean, Ivan was a 70s a WWF wrestler. So okay. is Ivan is Ivan my style? No. But for what he was in his time... I mean, you go back and watch the shit with him and Billy Graham and stuff from the 70s. Dude was fucking over. Yeah, and he's you know? he's actually gonna work here in a little bit. Like not now, but a couple episodes. We're gonna we're gonna see Ivan work, and um, he wasn't the. I actually like best, <laughs> it's funny. He wasn't the best hand in the ring, but he was an entertaining motherfucker. He and was, and you know what? When I go back and watch the stuff from the seventies, I actually really really like Fat Ivan Putsky. Yeah, as yeah, opposed to muscular Ivan Putsky, like when he was just when he was just himself, like the barrel chested, you know, yeah. I'm happy, I'm a drinking Pollock, blah blah and, blah. And he did in the seventies. He did. Um, I can't remember the fucking song that he sung. I know the rhythm, but I don't know the yeah, song. Yeah, and I know the fucking song, but it's just like not right on the top of my head. But he was doing, and this is going to sound stupid, but in the 70s, like that was like, oh, you didn't know? Yo, ass, but I saw some. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. fan interaction before fan interaction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll never put down Ivan. Um, but all that shit happened. Like I said, Lawler said the empty boat and uh, dumb Pollock, and then the Undertaker comes. Come, he cuts a promo about um Paul Bearer coming out with a secret. Um, Taker says, um, it's a twisted version of the truth, and he wants a chance to speak the truth after, um. Paul Bear says whatever he's going to do. And then we get a hype video for the great Sasuke um, and his upcoming match with Takamichinoku, which these two are going to fight at um, Canadian Stampede. Um, the, the great sausage cake is coming in. Yeah. Um, then we get a match between Brian Pillman and Mankind. Um, they before this match or not before the match, but as the match, like as Pillman's making his entrance, they show um, clips of Brian Pillman attacking a fan from the crowd on shotgun Saturday night. And Jim Ross um, talks about um, how Brian Pillman went over the, went over the edge and he's been fired from shotgun Saturday night and he'll never be a commentator on there again. Which, um, 
is interesting for a reason. Do you know what that is, Nate? What's that? That's what Jim Ross wanted Brian Pillman to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say that, yeah. Okay. I get he, he knew that it was hurting him too much to work. And he was just like, just, just don't work. Just be a commentator. You're great at it. You know, like, I'm not going to get too much into it because we're getting a little, little long in the we or a little long in the show, but Pillman's the guy that Jim Ross, I think was just like knew the most of like, I think he knew Brian Pillman was. Yeah. He knew Brian Pillman wasn't going to live long if he kept wrestling. Yeah. Like get out of it, you know, Mm -hmm. just stop. And anyway, um, which we can talk about that on another fucking show. But um, Mankind's wearing a pick. Mankind comes out and he's wearing his Pick Me Steve sign. Um, uh, He gives... um, (laughs) I forgot about this. This is funny. Uh, Mick's wearing his Pick Me Steve shirt or his Pick Me Steve sign. Mm -hmm. And he gives Jim Ross a um, gift. Okay. And the gift that he gave him and Jim Ross opens it and it's a fake hand and it's got like the, it's like a mannequin hand and it has like the, it's got like the mandible claw cloth on it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But when he gives it to him, there's a kid that's like right behind the commentating booth. Like he's sitting on the front row and Mick gives Jim Ross the, the gift and bef- and Jim Ross like, I don't know if I should open this. I don't know what it is. And you know what this kid yells? What? He goes, don't do it, JR. It's a bomb. <laughs> the kid's a good booker. Yeah, it's a bomb. I just thought that shit was funny. I love when wrestling fans yell funny shit. <laughs> out yeah the kid was like it's a bomb um pillman ends up jumping mankind um to kick off the match um steve austin is on the phone he's not live he's on the uh, no sorry he's he is he's in the back they did a phone shit in 97 but steve's in the back and they're interviewing him and they're asking steve if um He'll accept, if he'll accept Mankind as partner, and he says once again that Mankind's a long-haired freak and he sucks and he won't team with him. And then Triple H and China come out to watch the match. Um, Mankind um, goes for the claw, but Triple H ends up getting involved. Um, but, but Mankind chases them away with a chair and uh, Brian Pillman ends up winning by count. Is what I said makes sense? Yeah. And listen to the talent that's involved in this fucking segment. Brian Pillman, Mick Foley, China, Steve Austin, Hunter. It's like, this is fucking insane. Yeah, and and Austin Foley or Austin Mankind or whatever, that's like uh what do I want to say? I don't know how to put it in words. 
it's um fun I don't, that's the word i guess that i'm looking for but just like all the fucking names in this thing and they weren't even names at this point right i mean they were names but you know what i mean mm-hmm. like this fucking roster is an insane how fucking good it is like jim ross was the fucking best he definitely put together like the greatest fucking roster of all time. <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so unless you get anything else on that, we'll move nope. on to the next thing. Um, Paul Bear um, says that he's going to fill the beans, which I don't think Paul Bear's ever wasted beans in his entire life. But he's going to spill them beans. And then uh, Vince McMahon introduces Paul Bear um, to the arena. Um, and then no lie, I don't even think this was something they planned. It wasn't something they planned. Guess what happens to, uh, William Moody is he's trying to come out. A fan attacks William Moody and it's a lady. Like she jumps over the rope or she jumps over the railing and tries to attack, actually tries to attack William Moody. Um, the reason I know it wasn't a wasn't a rehearsed thing is because the cameras get off of it quick and uh, William Moody punched her in the head. Um, then Paul gets up and he discusses the family life of the undertaker and mentions um, the name Kane for the first time. He says, so I'm going to try to, I, I, I put a synopsis on it. So whatever. Um, he says, Undertaker's father um, taught him everything that he knew, like about being a, um, a mortician. Um, he says, Kane idolized Taker. Bear says that um, little Kane, like, like he saw little Kane and um, um, Taker fucking around with chemicals and smoking cigarettes behind the, the, the mortuary or whatever. And um, basically says that he caught them doing that, narked onto him to his dad, the taker and the taker. Kane and taker's dad about that, told them to stop fucking with it. And then um, Bear claims that the undertaker didn't listen and he kept doing it and um, ended up causing the fire that burned down the the funeral home and killed his family. And that um, basically Taker was a delinquent and was messing with like embalming fluid and cigarettes and matches and all this and burnt down the mortuary and says um, Undertaker you're a God damn murderer. And you no, know, you watched it and you remember better. You 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 can't forget that fucking segment. But and that line gets a great pop. Better words than huh? That line gets that line gets a great pop from the crowd. And um again, like we said earlier, at this point, you're telling a fantastic story. And I know that um uh, the 
that that's why I said they screwed it up later. Like it never, they never should have went with the turn they did as far as the story goes, because the story was perfect. Yeah. And it was, it was one that they fucked up later on. And again, that's something that at some point, someday down the line, we'll probably talk about, I won't get into a deep here, but this is a great story. And, and living through it at the time, it was fascinating to watch it play out. Yeah. And I'm glad it wasn't Danny Spivey. <laughs> That's got to be. That's got to be Immobile Kane. <laughs> Not knocking Danny Spivey, but he was immobile by then. Yeah. That's why Whaley Jennings. Well, only only time I ever liked Danny Spivey was when he was with when he was Waylon Mercy. To be honest with you, I'm not a Danny Spivey. Fan. I said that's when Waylon Jennings worked, <laughs> or, or Waylon Jennings. <laughs> lives are, lives are gonna be in Waylon Jennings' hands. <laughs> I just made fun of myself. So you you don't have to defend criticizing Spivey to me because honestly, the Waylon Mercy thing was the only time I ever liked him. So. I know, that was so stupid. I said, oh, yeah, that's when Waylon, Waylon Jennings worked. But anyway, I liked him when he was um, a skyscraper. With uh, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I, just, I, I don't know. I just I was never a Spivey guy. I don't like him. I liked him when he was Taker as a skyscraper, but Taker was doing the work. So I've always said, imagine... If shit would have went good and you would have got fucking Sid and fucking Mark as the skyscrapers, that shit would have been fantastic. But um, anyway, we'll we'll breeze through the rest of this because there's, like I said, there's a lot. There's not a lot going, but it's just, it, we can breeze through this. Um your goddamn murderer undertaker is what Paul Bear says. And then we get Mark Marrow and Sable showing off the casket for the SummerSlam super million dollar scam. Um, and Mark Marrow is starting to um, sell a little bit about being unhappy about Sable getting attention. Um, and that's how that goes. And then we roll into another tag team tournament match, and it's the Headbangers versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Um, Bret Hart's on the phone doing an interview. Um, he doesn't really talk too much. He's just knocking America and talking about being the Canadian hero. And now Owen and Bulldog are great. Um, the Bangers go for a stage dive. Uh, but bull on Owen, but Bulldog interrupts, and then um, Owen ends up rolling up Mosh for the pin. So Bulldog and Owen um, advance in the tournament, and then we roll into. You might have something on this. Um, we roll into one of the most random things that's ever happened. In the history of the WWF, do you know what it is? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a, little bit of a hint. I want a bulldog win, and then post match, Jim Cornette comes out in a red and black suit, and he's blowing a whistle. Oh, the squat team. Yes. So the headhunters. 
We haven't called them the squat team or the hunt hun- headhunters yet. Cornette comes out, blows his whistle, and these two little fucking fat guys come out. And I, I know that sounds weird when I say little fat guys, but they're little fat guys. Right? They were as wide as they were tall. Yeah. And they yeah. have been called the squat team before. They were in the 1996 Royal Rumble. Okay. I'll give you that then. But they're trying to bring them back now. But they Cornette brings them out, and they're trying to get these guys over as being like super big and crazy. And this is their debut, and I'm putting air quotes debut. And guess what happens to them? They they get beat off. That's, that's not <laughs> dirty. Yeah, I don't know if they get beat off, but Davey just starts slamming them. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. Dave, like, Davey's like, these guys. Like, I think knowing going in, Davey was like, fuck these guys. You know? So Davey starts slamming them. Okay? So right off the bat, this... Well, I'm sure they I'm sure they were brought in as a favor to Gorilla because, you know, of his kid. Yeah. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they're supposed to be these monster ain't, guys. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't, nobody, ain't nobody putting them over. And Davey just slams them around. Like literally That's... on literally on the drive-thru one time, uh, one of the questions was about that, the whole thing with Cornette being with them. And Brian last asked him, and Jim Cornette literally, and you know how Cornette is, whether you like him, love him, or hate him, he's honest. Cornette was literally like, I don't even remember this. I don't even remember that they had me with these guys. Like, I, I you you telling me this? Uh, it's the first time I even remember it ever happening. So, but Davey is just being Davey, and he's just throwing them all around the ring. Um, they're doing their thing. Um, and then they finally, like, Owen and Bulldog just fucking leave. And um, these fat fucks end up doing their only two moves they have which are the moonsault and the headbutt on the headbangers and then the headbangers roll out and this is no lie you audibly hear Glenn Ruth go you're fucking stupid (laughs) like I don't know which headhunter he was yelling at but Glenn Ruth just goes you're fucking stupid and leaves (laughs) It's like it's like when Randy yelled at it. What who do yell? Who do he call stupid? Kofi. Like when he does, he's like stupid. You're stupid. And Glenn Ruth rolls out and goes, "You're fucking stupid." And fucking leaves. <laughs> like even Glenn Ruth was like, "I don't give a fuck about these." But anyway, and that's it for the squat team, everybody. Yeah. Um, I think they get maybe one more appearance, maybe one more. I don't know if it's on Raw. I think they sh- it's either Shotgun or Superstars. Yeah. But those guys aren't long for the world. Um, and then after that happens, um, we go backstage, and The Undertaker says um, that it's true that him and Kane were fucking around with matches and embalming fluid, but it wasn't him that burnt down the mortuary and killed his family. Uh, it was actually Kane that burned down the house. So he was he was fucking ah house. Yeah, yeah. He was the talking head in that situation. 
Um, so he's like, cool, he's like, cool, baby. <laughs> it was once in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that happened. Like, 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 he's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Me and Kane, we were on a road to nowhere. <laughs> I, I think Kane might be a psycho killer. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> might have been a deep cut. I don't know. But... And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack <laughs> with Michelle McCool. <laughs> A beautiful wife <laughs> and a beautiful house. <laughs> An American badass. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, what else did they do? <laughs> <laughs> like Kane, like Undertaker's just telling real stories here. Like this that isn't was the, this Burns. Isn't that was Jacob Burns movie, man. Real stories. This isn't this <laughs> isn't this, this <laughs> This isn't the one where uh, the mic cuts out on him, is it? That's every Undertaker segment. In 97, like, every time <laughs> Mark Calloway tried to do a fucking segment, his mic fucked up. <laughs> every fucking time. Like, no lie. Like, every time he tried, they tried to do set with him, his mic fucked up. And you could just see it in his face. <laughs> He's like, and you may find just... Yeah. Oh, life. Yeah, all this shit fucks up. Anyway, like when he was like trying to walk through the fire, like, well, I don't, we'll, we'll not get there on ninety-seven because that was ninety-eight. But anyway, um, I'm an ordinary mark burning down the house. <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> and then he's just like. <laughs> Like a little head and a big suit. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking David Burns, great. Hmm. Absolutely. But Taker cuts this promo about it wasn't him, and it was actually Kane that burned down the house. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. I did. I caused this. You did. <laughs> but it's fucking funny. <laughs> Um, what I was trying to say that was going to be funny was every time the last like four weeks that something like serious like this has happened, guess what happens after it? Something ridiculous. Rockabilly comes out. Yep, something <laughs> like, ridiculous. Like Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, like Undertaker's like Kane burned down the house and murdered our family. It wasn't me. Yeah, it's like then it's like fucking um Jar Jar Binks dad or whatever from that Star Wars movie. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about with like, oh, yes. the slaps going on. Boss Nass. Like. Huh? Boss His name Nass. is Boss Nass. Well, I think it would be adequate that that boss ass was badass's dad. So anyway, <laughs> Taker t- 
tells us about this horrible thing that yes, our family died, but it wasn't me that burned down the house. It was Kane and then fucking rockabilly and honky tonk man come out to fight um Vader with Paul Bearer. Um Rockabilly um tries to hit Vader with his guitar and it does nothing. And then Taker comes out and he attacks and um Paul Bearer starts sorry, Taker starts smacking around Paul Bearer and telling um Bear to tell everybody that it's a lie and that Kane did it and he has no proof. And then guess what Paul Bearer screams? He's alive! Yeah, there you go. Paul Bearer screams that Kane is alive and Taker is taken back by this, drops Paul Bearer, and then Paul Bearer and Vader escape. Um, it's good shit. And mind. when you watch when you watch Paul Bearer, when you watch William William Moody, and you think about Vince McMahon's approach to pro wrestling and his vision of pro wrestling, you can see why Vince McMahon says his favorite manager of all time is Paul Bearer. Because Moody was great. And from a sports entertainment perspective and that character and owning that character, how fucking good was that guy? Oh, he's fantastic. And like um the um I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, and, and the evolution of the character is great. Like like he evolved just like the Undertaker evolved. Mm -hmm. I mean, like he started out as the mortician or whatever, and by this time, like he's Paul Bearer, but he's fucking Percy Pringle. Right. Right now, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, 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 he's not the Undertaker. Right? <laughs> a little less gay than Percy Pringle, but yeah, like he's not fucking rubbing oil on Rick Rude. Like, oh, I mean, let's be honest; they didn't say it, but the Percy Pringle character was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, go back and watch it. The Percy Pringle character was gay. <laughs> Just look at his expressions; like <laughs> he was a fat John Waters. <laughs> He was anyway. John Waters without the AIDS. <laughs> Could that be the name of the show? Husky John Waters. <laughs> Husky John Waters. Or John Waters without the AIDS. <laughs> Make it Husky John Waters. I had the potential title written down as Paul Barron never spilled any beans. Yeah, but, Husky, uh, Husky John Waters. That'll I'm guessing people like if so, if that becomes the most downloaded show of mine, my people know what I'm talking about because that shit's random. <laughs> so anyway, um, we roll into our main event. Unless you got anything else on Husky John Walters? <laughs> no. Um, our main event is Jim the Anvil Nightheart versus Steve Austin. Um, <laughs> What? I don't know why it's so funny that we've gone through this this roller coaster of a show, and then the main event is Steve Austin and Jim Neidhart. I'm sure I missed something. 
no, it's just like it's been this up and down roller coaster of a show. And then here's Steve Austin versus Jim Neidhart. How random is that? You know how this is going to end? <laughs> but I'm sure I missed a loophole in here where these guys wound up. But it's <laughs> it was funny. It's like an RKO out of nowhere. Yeah, it's Jim Neidhart versus Steve Austin. Probably their only match ever. Um, Neidhart um, um, jump starts the match by attacking. Like uh, Neidhart comes out first. Um, I remember what fucking mu- he came out to a fucking a theme, and I remember what it was, but it doesn't matter. It wasn't the old Heart Foundation theme. No, he didn't even come out to that. He came out to some fucking random ass music. Oh, that was a question I was going to ask earlier. On this show, did Paul Bear come out to the Papa Shango music? No, that was the, for a while. They were they actually for a few weeks they gave him the Papa Shango thing. No, he didn't. He didn't have Papa Shango's music. Nightheart came out to somebody's shit. I can't remember what. It was. But um, he comes out. Um, and then Steve comes out, and Nightheart um, um, jumps Steve Austin. And then we go backstage, and Ken Shamrock is laid out by guess who? Bret Hart. He lied about being in Canada and on the phone. He was at the Motel 6, and he drove down. Sneaky and then, Brett. yeah, sneaky Brett. And then Brett attacks Steve Austin, and the rest of the Hart Foundation come out, and they beat down Steve Austin. Brett gets him in the figure four. On the on the um, on the post, but then mankind comes out and helps Steve Austin, and Steve Austin and mankind um, run off the Heart Foundation, and that's how the show goes up. I would say overall, like other than the last the last couple quarter hours of Raw, I would say for this week Nitro actually had kind of a better show. They did. And, and WWF show is better creatively. Yeah. And part of it is because um, um, the next show we're going to review isn't um, a Rawler or a Nitro. The next thing we're going to review is the Canadian Stampede. So what WWF was going into was their um, pay-per-view. And usually can, that's, that's when a wrestling show is like, you know, we've, and, edged and, out, we've edged out as much as we can out of this. So we're rolling into our blow off here. And spoiler, spoiler alert, or not spoiler alert for anybody that's ever listened to me speak, but um, from the opening, from the opening salvo to the end of the show, the Canadian Stampede is one of the top five pro wrestling pay-per-views of all time. Oh, it is definitely. Um, so that that's, um, that's without saying, but you get what I'm saying? Like it, it's, yeah. 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 Like that's, that, that is what it is. And I thought this was a really good show. Um, neither one of the shows this week. Oh no, not, not in any way, shape or form. And but I just, like, like I said, I just, I think that uh, interest level, even though, like I said, I think that in 97, throughout most of the year, WWF had WCW creatively. 
for this particular week, I would probably give a bit of the edge to Nitro. Yeah, I'd agree. We got more. Hu- <laughs> Usually we get more humor out of WCW than WWF. This yeah. week we got, we got 20 minutes out of fucking Dave and Byrne with the WWF. So. <laughs> That was that was fun. Oh <laughs> shit, that was fun. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> Usually, I'm the asshole. It's like, oh, let's be stupid with something. <laughs> that was fun. It's once in a lifetime. So, um, like I said, Raw's off the air. Nitro's off the air. Ten or eleven o'clock, whatever time it ended, and everybody's got to get up and go to junior high or high school. So. Um, I appreciate you listening to me ramble about these shows. And Nate, unless you got anything to um, plug or talk about. No, I think we're good. All right. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening and remind everybody to listen to all the shows on the um, the WrestleNet Radio Network. And um, in the upcoming year, when Nate starts getting Patreon shit put up there, um, support it. So, but if you don't, don't complain when the show, don't complain about any shows that are free. Like, don't bitch. It's free. And, so. and just, and just remember, as we sign off here, that is not your beautiful life. That is not your beautiful life. Or your life. And then just dance away like this. <laughs> 